so yeah guys we're um we're back tonight we're gonna do another phone session with you guys last time on friday we did we wanted to do a uh a show more dedicated towards something different um but all the calls came in for brian koberger so we decided we're gonna do a brian koberger call show <laughs> that's it so if you guys are interested in uh or you have any theories or thoughts about the case anything like that give us a call the phone number is at the bottom of the screen it's 210-209-9435 and um yeah let us know when you come in we'll meet you're gonna you're gonna get in you're gonna be able to hear what's going on and when we call out your area code uh that's when you'll be able to we'll be able to hear you guys so uh, once you come in, you'll be in the queue. You'll be able to hear us. We won't be able to hear anything until we call you out. So just uh, FYI. So so what do you think, Hyman? Do you think that there's going to be a... When do you think this is going to go to trial? Tomorrow. <laughs> I yeah. wish. No, uh, um, yeah, it's probably going to be uh, mid-year next year. Yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming that too. Yeah, um, it's just like this case, like I said before, it's just there's a lot of things going around. You know what I mean? It's like kind of a, like a circus. And also with like with Richard Allen, too, that, that one's crazy, man. That one's oh, yeah. crazy. Um, yeah. everything's, everything's, everything's like out of whack there. Um, but I think this one will probably be around mid next year. Hopefully. Yeah. I think so too, man. I think, well, yeah, because I think they're going to probably do about maybe three months to six months um, from the time that they finally get all this IgG stuff settled and, and out of the way. Uh, you know what I mean? So I can see once they got that out of the way, which I don't know how long it's going to take. You know, you have the, I think the judge got it on the first. So it's, it's now the 11th. We haven't heard anything on it. I just checked. The Idaho logs, there's nothing there. So I wonder if there's a. Yeah, I wonder what's taking so long. I'm assuming he's probably going to have to get somebody to explain it to him. You know, he's not a scientist or any of those type of things. They're a genetic scientist. So he's probably going to get somebody in there to to help him out. Yeah, he's probably going to get my cousin Vinny. Your cousin Vinny. <laughs> uh, well, that's what um I think Coburger needs is somebody's cousin because um <laughs> he needs someone's cousin, brother or whatever. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Dude, I, the more I think about that whole IgG mess, I just don't understand like the uh, where where the innocence comes into play when it comes to the argument in the IgG. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I can't put it together. You know what I'm saying? Like where um, the IgG is going to point at somebody different. Um, I think that it's just a a technicality. You know, if anything, that's, that's what it is, right? And so, um, you know, putting that to the side, do, do you think that that type of information should be used against people? Like if somebody were to go in there and, um, you know, let's just say there's a guy named Jeff. My name is Jeff. And he decides that he has a, uh, you know, he wants to go do his ancestry. And his cousin ends up uh, getting 
in trouble for something and he doesn't do his ancestry. Mm-hmm. You know, should, should that guy not have access to, I guess, uh, Jeff's DNA? Like, how does that, how does that, well, like, what do you think about that? I think it's a good tool. I mean, obviously, right? Especially because, you know, there's been over 500, like, cold case uh, solved because of this. You know, they've been using yeah. this kind of uh, tactic and they've been getting people from like 40, 30, 30, 40 plus years, you know, solving cases that they haven't been able to solve in, 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 in decades. So I think that's, that's a good, that's a good thing, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know how accurate it is, you know, back then when they first started in its infancy, but I'm sure that now it's more accurate than before. Yeah, I would assume so, man. You know, um, you know, as as the technology continues to be developed, so would be, uh, you know, its accuracy and 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 and, and also basically you know, how it could be used. So I, I think you're absolutely right in that aspect. But you know, I, what, the argument I don't get is the IgG pointed at Brian Koberger, right? It said that hey, this is who you need to look at. Now, that information wasn't used to get Brian Koberger's arrest warrant. That information wasn't used to get his locations for his phone. You know, none of those things, right? Um, The reason why they got his locations from his phone is because of the warrants they had from the cell towers. They expanded them and they saw that he turned his phone off at a specific time and turned it on at another specific time and utilized that information so that they can get his... um, his historical data that has nothing to do with anything DNA related. All right. The only thing DNA related that's used against Koberger that's not his DNA is his dad's DNA that was in a uh, on some trash that was discarded at his parents' house. Now, that piece of evidence is not tied to the IgG. So that cannot be thrown out. You know what I mean? That was a legal. Sp- you know, gathering or, or collection. What are your thoughts on that? You know, when it comes down to DNA, um, I'm guessing blood has it's a lot more, uh, it's a lot better DNA than it is as uh, touch, right? Um, I mean, it, it's harder to explain. Like you're 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 less likely to get blood. Um, from one place to another, especially if there's like a sp- um, significant amount and or if it was um, dried upon there, like if it was, you know, wet when it got on to that surface, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's harder to explain it there with the touch, sur- the touch DNA. The argument is that you can touch something and somebody else touched the same item. And now you've transferred that DNA and they can easily transfer that DNA somewhere else. Because I, I was thinking about it, it's like, you know, like, like I said before, like me putting my 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 knife in my in the sheet. Sometimes, like, you know, sometimes you get cut, right? Maybe, yeah. Maybe he got cut, and maybe the blood that's under in that button on the snap is actually blood. Maybe not a lot of it, but some. It could be, but what we do know is that it's single source. So, yeah, you know, the likelihood it's a transfer is less. Right. Um, Because how do you think they would have transferred it on there? 
right? On, on a button snap, you touch it with your hands, your fingers, right? So they only had single source DNA. There wasn't two DNAs there. The, the perpetrator and Brian Coburgers, if he's innocent, right? So the fact that it's single source DNA and there's nobody else's DNA that put it there is kind of suspicious. Now, is is that on its own enough to get him, you know, uh, arrested or, or you know, put 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 to prison for the rest of his life or have his life taken away? Not on its own, but I think you got to add everything else in. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, for like how how would you explain a single source DNA getting on the inside of a button snap? Because that's the other thing too. It's inside the button snap. It's not like you know, on a, on a doorknob where, you know, that's most commonly touched, right? Yeah. People go in there and touch the doorknob and, um, you know, there's a lot of DNA that's on there. It's inside the, the sheath, the button sheath. How do you think it would have gotten in there? Oh, man. I mean, obviously he handled that. Mm-hmm. Unless, unless... Um... The thing is, I don't understand. It's like, oh, he had no connection to any of these victims. And, you know, his age probably doesn't put him inside that circle, you know, for him to be like, I was in that house at a party. Uh, I held the sheet, and that's why my my stuff is under, you know. Right. And that would be the best case scenario. And this, for him, you know, be like, oh, I actually was. I've been to a party there, you know, especially because they had so many, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe they, yeah, just I got invited. I went, hanged out, and that's probably why my DNA is there. There could be a possibility, but other other than that, I don't see how. Besides him doing or actually handling the the knife and the knife sheet, I don't see how he could explain that away. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much there. There's that plus the phone being turned off. You know. I had we did our show last time and we were talking about his phone being off. And during that time uh, or, or in the comment section, I had somebody tell me that they they lived near the area or whatever and that their phone goes in and out all the time. And I was like, you know, do you think that Brian Koberger's phone would be the only one affected by that? Because I'm sure that there would be some sort of you know history that night if there was some if there was that much of an issue. Where Brian Koberger's phone never connected at all. I mean, it was not uh, tech, like like temporarily connected. It didn't go in and out of service um, for two straight hours, right? And it went off in Pullman. And to get to where he was, he would have had to have driven near Moscow, or at least you know near Moscow, if not through it. Two places where signal should be the strongest. So if he's not having service at that time then there's probably tons of people that aren't having service at that time. And I, I just feel that if that was the case, then you would probably be seeing his defense team come up with, hey, we can't use this evidence against him or, or um, you know, some kind of dismissal because of that aspect alone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think, do you think um, the alibi he gave, Hello. One second, two, two eighty-one. Sure. Give me one sec. Uh, what was that, Jaime? 
I said, do you think the the alibi he gave harms harms him more? Um, it helps. I I would say it did. It does, to be honest with you. And, and the reason being is because, um, like, it just looks bad. And even if he comes up with one later, it's not gonna. The question's going to come up, why did it take so long for you to come up with this, right? Did you need to see the evidence? Did you need to see those things? And uh, that's when that question is going to come up with. But the fact that he was just driving around by himself all night uh, and not giving a direction to travel, not giving, you know, what time he left, what time he got back home, you know, which direction he left, what cities he may have drove through, where he may have gotten gas, Um you know, where he may have gone through traffic, traffic lights that would prove that his location was somewhere else during that time. You know, those things uh, add up. You know what I mean? Uh, two, 289, you're on. What's going on? All right. My name is Jason. I just uh, love your guys' analysis, first of all, and your thoughts. Thank you. Um, I can't get, get over the grub truck, truck video. You know, I if Brian did this, uh, did this murder, I'm going to give you guys a free trip to Costa Rica. I'll tell you, because I think there's evidence that points that he's being set up, but I, I, have, I think you guys probably disagree with that. Uh, what do you think? Um, I, I would like to see what the evidence is that he's being set up. Uh, just the behavior of, first of all, I think, there's no concrete evidence of that, obviously, but the behavior of a lot of those people at the grub truck, Huda did a lot of videos, and I'm not saying Huda's right with everything she says. I think there's some things she's, she's off with, but I think there's a lot of you know strange behavior at that grub truck and motives uh, for people to, unfortunately, to have done these brutal murders. And I don't think, Brian, we, we so far at least, we don't know any motive that he would have had to do this, but... Um, that's obviously something that'll come out, I would think, in the trial. So just just because uh, I'm not seeing the connection there, but where's the motive from the grub truck? I well, the, the what's the uh, the secret society? I keep forgetting the name of that society there at the university. Um, I'm not familiar with it. Is it the church oh, yeah, thing? Sorry. Yes, I believe so. Okay. There, and then, by the way, you know, I think it's important to note in these old universities like Idaho, like uh, Yale and other certain universities, they have um, a dossier on you. So with Brian Kohlberger, it may sound like a reach, but I wouldn't be surprised if certain elements of law enforcement, the intelligence communities already had a dossier on somebody like Brian Kohlberger. And I think they needed to get this murder wrapped up. We all know that, you know, they needed to wrap it up as fast as they could because nobody else would go to university. And especially if they find out there's more than one killer involved. And th those are the reasons that I think that he's being set up. But I, I hope mm. I'm wrong. I, I really I hope you guys are right that Brian is is the evildoer. And I love how you guys hunt for evil. And hopefully we're going to if Brian did this murder, then obviously I want him convicted, and we all do. But I still, something tells me that he very well may have been set up. So if the setup just, if the setup was because they needed to to, to wrap it up, um, mm -hmm. who, who do you think actually did it? That's a great question. I 
if, if I was a betting man, I would question the Jacks, uh, particular Jack, I believe it's Showalter, the one that has done hunting in the past, was with Kaylee for most of that night, as you guys know, and, and Maddie, and he followed them home. Uh, it's just very strange, and then turned right. I guess he followed them part, at least partly home. If, um, and if, I think he's the most suspicious of all of them, but there's several people that grub truck that were acting very, very strange. I thought, and I agree with a lot of Huda's analysis on those videos from the grub truck. And, you know, a lot of people think that somebody like a Brian Koberger, one person couldn't do these four murders. I guess it's not impossible. Um, but I find it very, very hard to believe. And then, you know, you go to the nine one one calls eight hours, you know, and a lot of people defended Dylan saying she was in shock. And I think Dylan briefly said that, um, but you know, five-year-olds have been known to call nine one one, right. Uh, mm-hmm. in murders. So I don't think that is a, a very reasonable excuse to say that you're in shock. You couldn't call it, you know, nine one one in eight hours. There's something going on there. And right. uh, Dylan's going to have to answer those hard questions when it comes time. Right. Yeah. I think the, the eight hour thing is, it's definitely something that everybody wants to know why it took so long. I'm not sure if everybody's going to be able to handle the answer to that. Um, but mm. you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think that at the end of the day, you know, everybody wants to know that, but so yeah. if the, if, if the deal is that they wanted to wrap it up, do you think that if they would have found the right killer at an appropriate time, they would have arrested the right guy? Absolutely. Yes, I think so. Okay. And so like, um, um, if, if they thought it was Jack Showalter and, and he turned in his, and he has an alibi or it turned in his phone and they, they did a, a download on it and it wasn't him. Like, I don't know. What, what, what would you think then? I would think, um, I would think that's, that's great that if it isn't Jack Showalter, uh, and that they did that download, they've obviously given or said that he has an alibi. Mm-hmm. Um, and that very well may be the case. I still think there's, there's more than one killer involved. I think it's somebody that obviously knew Maddie and Kaylee, like a lot of people strongly, uh, suspect, uh, the mother of Kaylee, as you know, I'm sure you know this, that she strongly suspects, too, that she's convinced that it's somebody they knew. And maybe it'll come out in trial that Brian did know them. It, this is very, you know, this is all very fascinating. It's sad. Uh, God rest all four of their souls. They were beautiful young people that had their lives snuffed out way too early. And I, I know we'll get the truth on this one way or another. But um, and if again, if, if Brian is the killer, then all the all the credit goes to you guys and everybody else that has stuck with your guns on Brian. And uh, I'm going to give you guys a free trip to Costa Rica. I'm telling you. (laughs) We appreciate that. Um, As far as Christy though, I I have recently spoken to her on her feelings on, on who did this and who didn't. They strongly suspect that it's Brian Koberger. Oh, wow. Thanks for that. That news, that update. I had no idea that they, they strongly suspect it's Brian. Well, then I'm starting to turn towards the now that it's Brian that did these brutal murders. The yeah. scumbag Brian. What a coward to pick, you know, four in the morning that, you know, when they're drunk, they're vulnerable. That's the only way he could have done this, these murders, right? What a uh, coward. Yeah. I mean, I, I think whoever committed this crime, whether it was Koberger or not, uh, it was calculated. 
it was uh, meticulously planned and um i i think that they targeted this area because of more so the house than it was um any specific person in the house i think it was the people it's just my personal opinion i, I think that um one of the one of the factors to this may have been just that you know me personally i think it's a thrill kill and i think one of the aspects mm. of it was more more people there you know uh, to have mass casualty and so um you know, that's my thoughts on it. I don't think that there this was rage or anything like that. Typically, when there's rage and you have something where there's somebody's upset, you have mm-hmm. there's there's evidence of that. There's yelling, there's there's banging on the wall, there's punching, yeah. there's swinging, and there's a camera fifty feet away, and none of that is heard. Mm-hmm. Wow! Thank yeah. you for that analysis. And I do recall now you saying in another video that you do think it was a thrill killing and. Um, I would totally agree with you uh, based on what you've said so far that it, it probably is a some sort of thrill kill. Yeah. It's unfortunate. It very much well, is. Well, thank you very, very much for your time, guys, and expertise. I'm phoning long distance, so I wish I'd keep talking with you guys for another hour. But I'm going to call in the future, and thank you for taking my call. No problem. Thank you for calling in. Okay. You have, have a good one. Have a good night, guys. You're, you guys are the best. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great call. Great call. Um, you know, just kind of answer some of the questions or some of the things that he threw out there, you know, as far as the setup aspect. Um, Brian Koberger's DNA was on that sheath. Now, how he got there is the question mark, right? But we know that that DNA was on the sheath when it was taken into evidence and the Idaho State Lab created an STR profile. So um, when would somebody have gotten access to that sheath with Brian Koberger's DNA? How would they have gotten access to that sheath with Brian, Co- you know, to put Brian Koberger's DNA on be- before it left? Or, well, shoot, uh, I think somebody called. We call, call back again. I think we missed the call there. But, you know, I, I just feel that it's it's too elaborate. You have the multiple agencies that are involved you have the fbi you have the idaho state police department you have moscow police department um they're all i just find it very difficult that there's going to be one crooked cop or a couple of crooked cops in a small town that nobody's heard about that all these fbi agents are going to risk their future their jobs their lives their freedom so that somebody can um you know not get fired or something uh, 870 you're in the queue we'll get you on here in a second what do you think Jaime? Yeah, I don't know. when it comes down to the setup, um, I think it's just like you said, it's just way too many people, way too many um, agencies. Um, I mean, I, I really think they would have more evidence besides a touch DNA if they were setting up this guy. Honestly. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, I mean, wouldn't, if they were going to set him up, I think it'd be easier to get his hair from somewhere mm-hmm. and, and sprinkle it somewhere there on the, in the crime scene. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, I mean? the, I think them supposedly putting, you know, touch DNA and then still be questionable. is not enough to say, Oh, he was set up. You know what I mean? Like they would have had something else more. Yeah, I think somebody right. Um, hold on. Uh, two Oh one. I think you got something going on in the background. 
I thought I could mute this, but I can't. Can you mute the background noise? And um, we'll get you on here in a second. 870, you're on. How's it going? Who are we speaking with? Hey, what's up? What's up, y'all? This is Toes. How y'all doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, what was your name again? I didn't catch that. Toes. <laughs> So, oh, okay. P-O-E-S. It stands for uh, turning over every stone. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Cool. Uh, welcome to the show, my man. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Thanks. Good. Glad to be here. Love you guys' show. Um, you know, first of all, the whole thing that attracts me to this whole situation is I'm from that area. I'm from Spokane. Mm-hmm. And, you know, NBC had dropped that episode with Doug Wilson about a month before this whole crime occurred. And, um, you know, I don't live up there in uh, that region no more. So when I saw that on NBC, I'm like, Oh, Moscow, Idaho. Hmm. That's interesting. No one ever talks about Moscow. And then, you know, a month later, one of the most tragic crimes, you know, to the point where a year later, we're still talking about it. So, you know, that's what got my whole attention to answer your question about, the knife and the knife sheath, you know, I have um, been through encounters with Idaho State Police, Moscow Police, Coeur d'Alene Police, um, and they're awful people, man. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not a criminal, but they're awful people. And they've actually stolen a gun of mine, like just straight stole it and told me, yeah, we're going to steal this. And, you know, there's nothing you're going to do about it. So, you know, that's crazy. Taking that in consideration. We've never seen the body cam footage of Brian Koberger pulled over in Moscow on uh, August 21st, 2022. Okay. Um, there is a possibility that they could have taken that knife. They could have taken that knife sheet from him during that particular stop. Um, that's my only way I, how I could see how he could be framed as far as the sheath. Besides them going to his doorknob and taking a... <laughs> A swab off of his doorknob and you know it's, it's easy to manufacture that too but we're, we're we're speaking of corruption at its highest level when it pertains to idaho and a lot of people don't understand that because they're not from there they ain't really been through there it's not really a convenient place to be unless you travel through the i-90 corridor or i-15 or 95 97 mm-hmm. so it's like it's a really isolated place and um there's not a huge federal jurisdiction there. Right. You know, the people that are there are there and nobody really puts in the request at the, let's say FBI or DEA and say, Hey, I want to move to Idaho, you know, not unless they're ready to retire and, you know, they moved to Coeur d'Alene or something like that, but nobody really wants to move to Idaho. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, I got a question. So real quick. The local, r- 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 yeah, r- r- let me just finish this real quick. So the local, jurisdictions are kind of able to do whatever they want to do because there's no oversight. There's no real federal oversight over them. So with that being said, go ahead, bro. Cause I got some more. I got to mention here. All right. So if the police were involved in this, um, are, are you saying that they're the ones that took the lives of the, uh, the victims as well? I, I think so. I, I think so, honestly. Um, and, and I'm not a cop hater at all, like at all by any means, but those cops are bad. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Um, 
you know, um, I, I don't and, know, man. And that's why I think, I, and, and honestly, Brian Koberger, I, I think he's, I don't even want to use the word patsy, but I think he's kind of an implant to keep people from, right? You know, we just came out of the George Floyd riots. We just came out of coronavirus. We just came out of a lot of things as a society. And um, with the microcosm there in Moscow, if they were to like learn that it was two cops or maybe even three, I think three personally, that went and did this, that whole entire city, even maybe even Pullman might even be affected by the collapse of what would happen. And, and you know, there, people in Idaho ain't playing. You know, you had the, uh, the little white nationalist that got hemmed up in Coeur d'Alene a few months before. And, you know, they're up in the county prisons up in there spreading their so, rhetoric and all that man. type of stuff. You know, there was a lot going on in that area at that time. Right. So I got like two other calls coming in, my man. We've gone over the three minutes. Um, we're going to talk about what you said, and then we're going to go on to the next call. But I do appreciate you calling in. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Uh, subscribe to my channel. It's called Toes. And um, just before I leave, just everyone, I want you to just realize this. How come everybody from Boise survived and everybody from northern Idaho died? That's all I got to say. You know what I'm saying? Just no one ever brings that up. Gotcha. That's a, that's an interesting topic. That's actually very interesting. All right, my man. We'll We'll talk to you here soon again. Thank you. All right, all right, all right. So, um, I'm gonna. All right, I merged this one other call in. Just uh, hold on one second, eight four eight. We'll get you on here in a second. So, Jaime, what are your thoughts? He says that he thinks that three, possibly three, Moscow, Idaho officers took these the lives of these girls, and and Ethan. I mean, obviously, there's there are going to be anywhere you go. There's going to be one one of those cops, right? That bad cops, right? Yeah, but even if there were three cops in this in this um, um, police force, I don't think these cops will have the connections to involve the FBI into their plot. Right? If they if they were able to, um, you know, frame somebody and put that into works, then yeah, you're right. They wouldn't they wouldn't involve the FBI. That wouldn't that makes a lot of sense. You know, and the other thing is, is, is the why. Why would the cops mm-hmm. do this? Right now, I think everybody's going to assume maybe there's some sort of like undercover drug thing or I don't know what. But then it boils down to the question of like how much, why, like it, the story has to be so wild. And, and again, what did Brian Koberger do to these three cops? You know, for them to frame yeah. him. Yeah, you know, you know, if you're gonna like personally, like if the cops were gonna frame or anybody was gonna frame someone for this these murders, you would think they would pick someone around the age, around their age that they actually yeah. um, know of, they went to school with, not someone that's way older, has no connection to them. You know, as they say, I don't know. I mean, I if you're gonna. If you're going to frame anybody or just, you know, have a patsy, why not use the guy that, that SWAT mm-hmm. took out on December yeah, 13th? That, you're going to put somebody, you know, frame somebody that has, like, you know, some, you know, prison, that's been in prison for some some sort of the same uh, crimes committed there, you know, yeah. uh, assault with a deadly weapon and, and, and stuff like that. You know, I mean, Brian Cobra has no police record besides... Maybe uh, 
tickets, maybe? I think he stole his sister's phone or something like that when he's a juvenile and his dad called the cops and got arrested for it. I think it got expunged. I think it was during the time he was on heroin. All right, let's um two oh one, you're 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 on the air. What's going on, two oh one? Hello? Hello? Hey two oh one, how's it going? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Who are we speaking with? Uh, my name's Tyrone from New Jersey. What's going on, Tyrone? Uh, what do you What are your thoughts and theories? Uh, well, first, um, I don't believe the cops uh, framed him. You know what I mean? That doesn't necessarily mean that uh, he's the right guy for the thing. But I just don't think they framed him because um, I feel like a lot of things will have to go right for that to happen. You know what I mean? Um, and it would just be too risky. You know, like why would the cops? kill them and then frame him, you know what I mean? Because it could really backfire on them and then that'd just be a whole world of trouble and corruption that they don't even want to get into. Um, my theory is that I'm on the side that I don't think Brian did it, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of things just don't fit him, you know what I mean? I, I just I just think it's a lot of other variables that, that goes into this. Um, I think it's a lot of other people that may have motives before right. we can even get to Brian. You know what I mean? Because like when the whole thing first started, everybody was saying this person, that person, that person, this person, and then Brian just came out of left field. It was like, who is this guy? Nobody never heard of him. Nobody never seen him. It was just like a such a random arrest. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, again, it doesn't mean that he didn't do it. It's just like I'm on the side where I just need to see more and hear more for me to convince me that this guy did it. Like if I was on a jury pool and you tell me that he did it and with the evidence that we have now, I don't think I could put him to death. You know what I mean? With that little bit of evidence, I just don't think I can. And I, I would like to know more about the victims. Like I see the, the Robert family they do a lot of interviews and stuff, but I, I seen an article say by the New York times where it said Kaylee was, moving to Austin and it was she was supposed to move with this this girl. Um I forget the name. And I feel like we don't know much about that. I seen an ad that she actually posted on Facebook where she was looking for a roommate. Um and it was kind of confusing because like if you already had one, why was you looking for another one? And I also wanted to know like when exactly did she move out of the house? You know what I mean? And then why was she also hesitant to come back? Cause I think Christy had mentioned that Dylan, you know what I'm saying, invited or uh, was begging her basically to come to the party, to the plus one, be her plus one or something. And she was hesitant. Then she decided to go. And ironically, unfortunately, she ended up losing her life that weekend, that same weekend. So it's just a lot of coincidence. You know what I mean? You know, um, things that I, I, I talked to Christy about that um, one about moving out and, and, you know, if Kaylee was hesitant about going back and, and she said no, that she wanted to go back. She wanted to go back. She wanted to show and surprise her car uh, to to Maddie and to the other girls. Um, there was no bad blood or any of those things. She was excited to go back that weekend. Now, I don't know about any party or if she was excited about a party or not. I, I just know that she was excited to go back to Moscow that weekend to show Maddie her car. Oh, okay. Well, I have a question for you guys, actually. What's up? 
Um, so I watch you guys a lot, and I know you like you're probably I know you're on the side of leaning more on the side towards that he's guilty or whatnot. Um, and I just been wanting to ask like the public this whole question, like from your own thoughts, why do you feel like he's the he's the right guy just based on your thoughts with the evidence that we have now? Why like why do you feel like he's the right guy? Well. Yeah, I think that the evidence is pretty damning myself. You know, he, he has his phone off during a specific time. He, by his own admission, is driving around his vehicle during that specific time. So he can't say somebody else had his car or any of those things. Uh, a vehicle that matches his vehicle is seen um, around the time of when they suspect that the murders had occurred. They suspect the murders occurred at four o'clock or between four and four thirty because of a number of things. One of them is um, the videos of the white Elantra passing by, the phone data from the victims. So what I'm assuming that happened was, and the PCA says that Dylan was asleep uh, when she was awakened by the sounds of what she thought was Kaylee playing with her dog. I'm assuming she turned on her phone or activated her phone, maybe even to just turn on the light to see what time it was. That activation would have triggered a, a, a timestamp of when it was activated. That would have also been another clue as to when this crime had been committed. Then you also have the audio uh, from 50 feet away that have some suspicious sounds on them. So you, then after that, you have the white Elantra without the front license plate, which Brian Coburger drove at the time um, because Pennsylvania didn't give any front license plates, leaving at a high rate of speed. So we know that it was more than likely whoever did this was operating or in that white Elantra. Um, so his phone was off. You have the white launcher in the area. You have his DNA on a knife sheath inside the button of a knife sheath. So it's, um, one of the most difficult places to probably get random DNA to be transferred in there just by happenstance inside the button. Right. Like I find it very difficult for it to have gotten in there. And it's also single source, meaning that it's not mixed with anybody else's or any of those things, it's single source. So I find it difficult that somebody would have gotten his DNA in there without getting their own. I understand. I understand that. The only thing I'm having trouble with is like everything that they mentioned can be debated and will be debated at trial. I mean, that's why we go to trial. Um, I feel like with the whole Elantra, I mean, if you don't, if you can't put him in that car, like if you don't have video of him getting in and out of that car at night at the time that you see that, if you don't have his plates, I mean, they already, I read it, I read somewhere that they already said they have like about what 60 white launchers registered to the school alone, I believe, and it's more registered in the, in the state of Idaho. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I, I think that if you can't have a video or a photo or plates from that night matching him, it's going to be pretty hard to put him there and with the phone pings i mean i don't know if anybody's been watching the was watching the ynw melly trial they had an expert that actually um explained phone pings and with the phone pings it doesn't necessarily put you at that exact location with the phone the cell phone job is to try to connect to the strongest tower not necessarily the closest one so he doesn't even and think and pings can actually ping up to 20 miles so he didn't actually have to be at the house but if his, been, if his phone is pinging to a tower, that means his phone is on, right? 
It means it's on, yeah. So that means that most likely all of the apps that he approved uh, for GPS location know where he's at down to probably a couple of feet. The ones that they got a warrant for. Do I mean, yeah, they, they should, but they never mentioned that they had him directly at the house. That they just I mean, phone they, right, right. Well, they, at the time of his arrest, they didn't have those warrants yet. So it's not going to be in the probable cause affidavit. So, you know, I, I think they got him, my man. You know, those things are going to show up after the fact. You know, they, they've got all of his um, receipts. You know, they got a receipt for a K-bar uh, knife that they can't find. So, I mean, it, it kind of all adds up after a while. Now, you can you can explain one and then the other. But the story that needs to come up to explain that one thing uh, and make it make sense, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, for instance, if we were to say that, you know, there's 22,000 white Elantras, well, let's do the possibility of, of elimination there. How many of those guys are registered or how many of those Elantras are registered a male? How many of those male are over or around six foot with bushy eyebrows? You know, once you get that, how many of those were out between the hours of two and five o'clock that morning? I'm glad you brought that up. I don't, I'm not going to take up too much of your time, but one like one thing, I'm glad you brought the bushy eyebrows up because I, from my standpoint, I've seen a lot of people talking about the description that Dylan gave. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know because they never said it, but at that time, I don't know if the lights was on or off, but uh, a man with bushy eyebrows is kind of like, it's not the greatest description that you can give. I feel like everybody, like most people have pushy eyebrows, right? But right. also, I've seen some people saying that she could have been intoxicated that night. Now, if I'm a juror or if I'm Antella or whoever, like, or if I'm the state, matter of fact, the last thing you want her, that you want her to say is that she was intoxicated or drunk. Because if that's the case, then her statement can't be really credible in my opinion, because if she was intoxicated to the point where she didn't know what was going on or understanding what was going on, that people were getting killed, you know what I'm saying? Cause I don't think it was a silent killing. I don't believe that people, I don't believe that all four of them were asleep, especially after hearing with Steve saying that it was one hell of a fight that went on downstairs and you're hearing thuds, so that means that maybe somebody got slammed or whatever. I just don't, I just don't believe that it was a quiet killing. In my opinion, that's just my opinion. So if I'm right and she was hearing all that, I just don't understand how you can't really understand that people are getting killed. Because I just think that you will hear screams, you may hear cries for help, you may hear all types of things. And if I've seen so many people on social media saying like, yo, she could have been intoxicated, this, that, and the third. Well, if she was drunk to the point where she couldn't make out what she was hearing, how can we believe that she's seen what she thinks she's seen? Right, you know right. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, no, for so sure. I think that will be questioned in court, and I think that a lot of things are going to contradict itself because it's it's going to be hard. I, I just think it's not going to be easy as we as people may think to put the pin Brian down. I'm not a Brian defender, nothing like that. If he did it, he deserves to go to jail. He deserves the death penalty. But I would hate to see the wrong man go to jail for. You know what I mean? For something that he may not done. Because to me, it just doesn't fit. Yeah. You know, his first time killing on record, he kills four college kids that 
We don't even know that he known, no connection, no motive. It just doesn't make sense. No, yeah, I mean, I, I understand why you, you question so many, so much of it. I mean, it, you know, at the same time, we also have to realize that we don't know all the evidence. And, yeah. you know, I, I think that that's probably going to paint a pretty clear picture. Jaime, you got anything? No, yeah, I think when more evidence at the trial comes out, it's going to make it a better, um, you know, we're going to be able to see it better, you know, the, the timeline and everything like that. Um, also, when it comes down to the, the evidence, I think, you know, from DNA to the bone pinks to his alibi saying he was, a, you know, driving around, um, you also got to take in consideration, you know, his knowledge about, you know, certain crimes. Um, I think maybe he might have been infatuated, not, not, not much about the, the from the victims, but maybe he was infatuated with serial killers. I mean, obviously he was learning about BTK. And it comes down to the same thing, you know, for, for individuals, his first kill, and it could have been something that he was trying to imitate or copycat. Wasn't BTK 28 also? Yeah. yeah he's the, the same, same age? Yeah. Yeah. As far as the description that Dylan gives, I don't think that that necessarily points to Brian Koberger. What it does is it doesn't exclude yeah. Brian Koberger. So um, when she goes into trial, when they use her description, you know, the only thing that... It, the way it could have worked into Brian's favor is if she would have described a four, five foot four guy, 250 pounds, but she didn't. She described a, you know, somebody that was at least her height or taller, which is five ten or taller, which he is athletically built thin, which he is bushy eyebrows, which he has. So those things that doesn't necessarily mean it's him. It just doesn't exclude him. And then when you add the DNA there, that's when you kind of get the, uh, all right, you have DNA, on a sheath that doesn't belong there underneath the body of a victim that puts him there, in my opinion. You know, you have... But so much stuff contradicts itself only because it's... When this... I mean, when does... Okay, so she gave that description, but where does the frozen and shock comes into play? Because when I do my research on frozen and shock, I mean, very few people even remember what happened. So right. to give that description... And then you have people saying that she may have been drinking or intoxicated. I mean, how does that come into play with the description that she gave? I mean, you know, I think then if, I think I think the the DNA validates it. You know, I mean, if if I if I see somebody that I think is Hyman, and I tell the cops, you know, I, I think I saw Hyman going to that to that building there. Now, I might be drunk or intoxicated or hallucinating or whatever, but if they got if they go in there and find DNA that belongs to him and that corroborates that evidence. Yeah, it, it I mean, does corroborate just, it. Okay, so okay, so the DNA puts him in the house, but what about all the other DNA that uh, that we that in the documents they said they found? Who who those those three DNA samples belong to? Did you, Why haven't we got anything? It's, well, one, there's a lot of crimes that happen every day in, in a lot of places. So resources are really limited, especially when it comes to the FBI. You know, not, they're not stopping everything just for this one case. Right. So once they come up with somebody that they think is the sole suspect and they have him in custody, there's no reason to investigate anybody else unless something dramatic comes up that says that there's somebody else that possibly could be involved. Now, when it comes to the DNA of the other three individuals, there's one that's super specific about where it was located. And that was in a glove outside 
right? Why aren't the other ones super specific? It's probably because it's not as close as we all would probably think they're trying to make it out to be. So it's probably the reason why they're not looking at it is probably it's in a common area, not too far away, you know, um, that can be explained, to be honest with you. The, the, not, the, the DNA on the sheath on the inside of a button snap, that one is where it gets kind of crazy. But I, I want to thank you for calling. We've gone over our time. I have one other person coming on. Um, we appreciate you. you, my man. Thank you. Thank you. All right, no problem. Yeah, take care. You too, buddy. You too. Good job. Good job. Good job. Oh, man. The other person just jumped off right when I was about to pull them on. Um, yeah, you think, uh, I mean, even the, the fact that the um, she said that it, there was, she only saw one person uh, walking out of the, oh, that's out of the true house. Right? Yeah. Also, yeah. I think that, that points to the direction that it might have been uh, just a lone, a lone wolf. Right. Right. And then, I mean, let's just say that the the rumors are true that Bethany said she saw uh, somebody naked running outside or some naked man at one point. That's only mm-hmm. a single person. And a naked person doesn't necessarily exclude Brian Koberger either, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it could be him being naked. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. 360, you're on the air. What's going on? Who are we speaking with? Hey, uh, yeah, I own the K-Bar and the Navy, Navy K-Bar sheath, and it is really hard to snap it. And that's where they got the skin samples from. Yeah. But the thing that bugs me is, when I wear a knife sheath on my belt, when I open my pants and I let my belt go for you, you're going to wear a knife like that on your belt underneath your garment. Mm-hmm. Why would he open his belt up and the knife sheath fall off? So that tells me that he had his pants open. Hmm. So from there, where do you go in the investigation of a, you know, the autopsies and getting the DNA samples from other places? I'm just saying, it's it's kind of weird that yeah. you just don't walk out of a house with a knife in your hand. Right. You got to have a place to put it. It's sharp. You just don't carry a knife around in your hand. So you, I'm just going to put it in my back pocket. What's it called? Uh, I think uh, I think when it comes down to the knife sheet, there's two possible things that might happen. Um, maybe what he was wearing didn't have a belt, right? Yeah, he had to wear it on a belt because right? that's the way it's uh, carried. And if he did have a belt and he had it on there, usually when I have a knife on and I drive, sometimes it, it bothers me. I take it off. There could be another reason why he didn't have it either on his belt or... Uh, that's true. He could have stuffed it in his coat pocket or in the front of his pants, but... Yeah, you know, being a hunter, I always have my knife in my sheet. But as soon as I open my belt and like pull my pants down to go do something in the woods, and sure enough, my knife fell off. A sheet fell off on the ground, and but maybe he just couldn't find his sheath because it was lost. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the- yeah, those Navy K K bar sheets are hard to snap. It's all I can do to snap my Navy K-Bar in, and you're going to leave a lot of evidence on that. It's just not random touch. It's all you can do to put your thumb on there is snap it in because they're tight. Especially the new ones, right? Oh, yeah. They're like 
it's like, uh, yeah, you have, really have to exert all your thumb energy to snap that knife. And there's gonna, it's not just an accident of their skin on there. <clears throat> That's really tight sheath, but I just think it's weird that he would leave his sheath and walk out of the, I think the freaking knife is still in the house somewhere. He put it in the heater duct or something. I'm thinking is you're not going to go walk out to your car with a bloody knife and freaking it's on the property somewhere. He just, he's not going to drive off with it and have it in the car somewhere on that property. Then you get metal detectors and go around there and you'll find it. It's stuck in the flower bed. It's where it is. That's what OJ it's a did. question. He stuck his knife. He stuck his knife in the flower bed and the landscapers found it like two years later. Yeah. Big long Swiss freaking switchblade. Yeah. And they asked OJ about that and he says, Oh, that that's not my knife. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the question, right? Where's the knife? Where'd it go? You know, it's there's on a, the property. Yeah, there's a receipt of uh, you know, supposedly, I don't know. We haven't seen the document, obviously, right? We haven't seen the court document. I haven't seen the exhibit. But according to major news sources, uh, that there was a, a K-Bar knife purchased from Brian Koberger uh, in April of 2022. So just a few months before the incident. So, yeah, if, if it was brand new, I can see, you know, him struggling with the snap. And that's how he's leaving DNA behind. Uh, also, you mentioned that you, you, you carry it in the sheath because it's sharp. I think that's the reason why he's carrying it around with him in his hand with the sheath there and not leaving the sheath behind. It's very sharp. And I think that yeah, there's a possibility that he could, you know, injure himself. And then oh, that God. would You're definitely leave. Throw it out flower bed, kick dirt over top of it. You're not going to take it and go for a drive back to wherever you went. But yeah, it's like, it doesn't make any sense because if I have a knife in my hand, I'm going to have a sheath for it because I'm going to cut myself eventually messing around. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I think the knife's still on the property, actually, but nobody wants to go look for it. Right. You right. put out a bunch of metal detector guys out there, they're going to find it. It's possible. It's possible. Yeah, I'm sure they... Top, top of the line metal detectors, those guys are into it, but they're not allowed on the property because it's a crime scene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he also had a long, long road trip, too, that he could have disposed of it somewhere within that road trip. Yeah, he's had he had a few road he was trips. Driving, the way he was driving that night, he was like he didn't have any evidence with him. And like thinking that yeah, you can have a bloody knife in your glove box and get pulled over by Moscow PD. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. What's this knife? All right. I get caught driving through Moscow with an open beer can, it cost me hundred and seventy five dollars. <laughs> well, I appreciate you calling in. We're going to talk about that. We have a couple of more callers coming through, but thank you so much for calling All in. Right. You have a yeah, good one. 918, we have you here. We'll, we'll, we'll get you in a second. I want to get this super chat real quick. Um, this is coming from, hold on one second. Man, I'm missing my damn stuff here. Oh, there it is. The one we're now on, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking for it over here. My computer was jacking up. So Micro Kimmy comes in with a 1999 Super Chest says, 
He went from being so ready to be exonerated, then he read the evidence against him. All of a sudden, he stands silent and weighs his right for a speedy trial. The PCA is the bare minimum to arrest. TV's evidence handed over. Thank you so much for your 1999. I don't know, man. Like, I don't, I don't see how it could not be him, <laughs> you know, unfortunately yeah. for me. You know, I know a lot of people was going to hate me on that, but you know, the, the, the evidence that we know of points to him. And I'm sure there's a lot more that they're not letting us know, especially oh, yeah. with the gag. All right. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But, you know, Kimmy Kimmy brings up a great point that he was ready to be exonerated, ready to clear his name, you know, waiving speedy trial, not telling anybody where where he was. That's not really trying to clear your name or exonerate yourself. You know, I mean, if you're going to say you're exonerating yourself, I think you'd have, you know, something there to say that you're innocent. Yeah, a better alibi. Right. Or at least tell people, like, hey, you know, I was heading that direction, you know, or that direction. You'll find me on uh, X camera and going into this town, right? Because he's driving for two hours up until the point where he's spotted outside of Moscow. And Moscow ain't that far away. It's not two hours away. Mm-hmm. So very, very curious stuff. There. Thank you, Kimmy, for your your, your super chat. Cool. I'm uh, still curious to see what, what, um, what the terabytes they have, all that evidence on terabytes. Oh, yeah, I do. Me too. Uh, you know, they exist. Becomes a new member. Thank you so much. And Sissy, thank it's you. their 10 months. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you. You are awesome. All right. All right. All right. Um, real quick, I'm going to answer two more questions and then we're going to get to you. 918 uh, question for Daniel. Why were the roommates only concerned about the second floor roommates? Uh, I'm not sure they weren't concerned about the third floor roommates either. I just, you know, all we know is that they contacted um, Hunter Johnson. And he came over, he went to the second floor because that's probably the first floor he he got to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he opened up that door. They saw what they saw and they, they bolted out, you know, yeah. in that moment, a lot of things are probably going to go out the window, you know, common sense, thinking, uh, critical thinking, things like that. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they just in a panic ran out of that house after seeing what they saw and, and just didn't even check, think about the third floor. You know what I'm saying? Um, and Kim comes in. Do you think they can get the info from his car like they did Murdoch? I don't know. I don't know because his car looks like the low-end model of Elantra's. When, when I saw the infotainment center on the body cam, it didn't look like it had anything crazy. So I, I'm not sure, but I don't think there's anything that's going to tie him to them. What, what do you think, Jaime? Yeah, I think you have a better chance of, you know, find like his GPS on apps to see where he's been at and at what, at what time. Yeah. And actual card stuff. I don't think that, I don't think it's a basic, I think it's a basic model, you know, especially because of the screen that it has in the front. It's not that big at all. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right. 918, you're on the air. How's it going? Who are we speaking with? Hi, this is Amber. Hi, Amber. Sorry to keep you waiting for so long. How's it going? It's going good. You actually just read my comment that I added about the second floor roommates. And so oh. I have a theory about that that I wanted to go over with you. Okay. Okay. So I feel like if 
the second floor roommates are Ethan and Vanna, and the roommates are concerned about them. It would make sense if you're living in a house with two other roommates on the third floor that you would contact the other roommates before you would call anyone on the outside to come in. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Dylan and Maddie, or Zana and Maddie, were very close. They're in the same sorority. They even have the same marketing major, and they work together. You would think that if Dylan and Bethany were concerned about Zana not waking up, Ethan not waking up, that their first thought would be, let's check with Maddie. She's pretty close to Zana. They've lived together for two years now. They work together. I find it a little odd that they wouldn't first go check with Kaylee and Maddie to see what was going on with the other two roommates. And I also think it's strange that if Murphy, the dog, has been trapped inside the bedroom the entire time, that at this point the dog's not whimpering or scratching or making any sound that they find it kind of odd that not even Murphy is coming out or making any sound because he's been locked in that room since probably at least three o'clock in the morning. And now it's almost noon. And so that's one thing that I do find to be really odd about this situation. And I wanted to know what you thought about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll let you answer this one first. Well, I think the fact that they went to Xana's uh, room first was because apparently uh, they saw a person on that floor, a floor itself. You know, they, if they if they would saw this person coming down the stairs, it would have been a different perspective. You know, they would have gone upstairs first and check on them. But I think the fact that they saw uh, the, I guess, a, the silhouette of a person coming out of there yeah. on that same floor out the out the kitchen, then that tends to point that. He was on the second form instead of the third. Yeah. And as far as like critical thinking and things like that, um, have you guys ever seen where, you know, there's somebody like on a, on a game show and they ask them a super easy question, super easy question. Like, you know, who's the first president of the United States? And, and, and they're stumbling around. They can't figure it out. They don't know. And that's because of stress. That's not because they don't know, or they don't understand the question. So, you know, I, I think that there's a high possibility that during this entire scenario, it may not have been the actions that we would have thought somebody would have taken or would have expected somebody to take. But, yeah. you know, I, I think there was a lot of panic involved, a lot of uh, confusion. And, and I think that that could be the reason why. But I have no idea. You know, I, I've talked to to Christy Gonzalez. Um, from my understanding, they don't know why it took them eight hours. You know, they don't know why, um, they didn't call police that a friend had to be called first, you know, and and those are going to be questions I think are going to have to come up in trial and they're going to have to be answered, you know, but does that point to Brian Koberger being innocent? I don't know how it does. I definitely don't think it points to him being innocent. I don't think I'm necessarily on the side that he's innocent. I think most likely he probably did do it, Mm -hmm. but I just don't know that it quite happened the way that we think it happened. Just certain things that don't quite make sense. Not that Brian didn't necessarily do it, but that there's something about it that I think there's a reason why this case is so popular. 
and that it intrigues so many people because there's so much about it that I think most people agree just is a little bizarre. Obviously, the eight-hour gap is bizarre, but I think to add to it is that, you know, why was it necessarily a panic situation in the morning? If eight hours had passed, you know, maybe Dylan, she wasn't quite sure what she saw, so she's able to go back to sleep, so she can't be that panicked and confused. And if most of the crime, as far as I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think we know she went back to sleep. I think the probable cause affidavit says she just locked herself in her bedroom in a frozen shock face. So, you know, I, I don't know that she went back to sleep. So, so that, that's one thing. And, um, you had said something else. What, what was the first part of what you were saying? I apologize. Cause it slipped my mind. You're, you, I wanted to answer that part first before it did. Um, I don't, I don't honestly remember what the first part was oh. that I said. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. And I apologize. <laughs> yeah, uh, no problem. I think for me, I just wondered what the confusion was in the morning because so much time had passed that I would think, you know, and obviously, you know, we don't know how we'd react in that situation, but it appears that maybe she wasn't as alarmed as she came off to be just given the fact that eight hours had gone by and they hadn't called for help at that point. Mm -hmm. So maybe she thought maybe they were just party sounds. Maybe it was, you know, she and Bethany, they some people have speculated, we don't know if it's confirmed, that, you know, they were texting each other. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they had calmed each other's worries down. And so they thought, well, you know, maybe it was just somebody in the house. So what was it about the next morning that they had cause for concern with the second floor roommates not waking up? Not necessarily that even Maddie and Kaylee weren't waking up either, but I wonder what it was about. Ethan and Zana, because I rewatched a press conference um, with the police, and they had said that when the call came in, that the call was about the concern for the second floor roommates not waking up. And so it, that's, I think, the thing that always kind of strikes me to be strange is were they also concerned about Maddie and Kaylee, or was it really just about Ethan and Zana? You know, because something happened in the house that night. I do think it's strange that there weren't any sounds. There could be all kinds of reasons for that. But it seems to be that they were really only concerned with the second floor. And I'd always kind of wondered why that was. And if they, you know, I'm sure that they were confused in the morning, but eight hours had passed at that point. So, mm-hmm. you know, and why call Hunter Johnson? Why not call Dana's sister? Why not call someone else? It's just, it's interesting to me, the people that they did call. Well, well, Hyman, what do you got first and foremost? I, I think there were concerns maybe because of uh, the fact that maybe the, the doorknob, I mean, the door wasn't locked and they couldn't open it still. And maybe they they thought something might have happened. And that's why the call was initially for uh, unresponsive, right? For, right. Unresponsive surgery. Right. And that might be it, especially, you know, like I said, seeing someone come out through that side of the of the hallway, you would think to go check. And if the door's not opening, even though the, the, the doorknob is actually turning, there's something behind it blocking it. And that's probably why they kind of freaked out that they couldn't, they didn't know what was going on. Right. And, you know, that that's assuming that they left their room. You know, we're also assuming that they weren't concerned about Maddie or Kaylee or didn't try to reach out to other people. 
you know um we don't know that they could have called numerous amount of people that morning um they could have called just two they could have called just one we don't i don't know that and you know as far as why I came in as an unconscious person or or the second floor aspect of it is you know according to christy uh, hunter johnson said that he had gotten um you know called to go over he um went over went you know went upstairs went to the second floor and try, couldn't open the door and once he was able to get it open he saw ethan's body was blocking the door and um told whoever was in the house to get out you know the the words were you know get out i don't know who he's saying or if it's just to bethany and dylan or if it's bethany dylan and perhaps somebody else they may have brought in uh, i don't know but um says get out and they get out you know at that moment you know panic is probably set in like crazy i mean if you go watch hunter johnson's um his reaction at the celebration of life you can tell that that young man saw some some crazy stuff and it was still affecting him really really bad and that was a lot of time after the fact you know this case also was one where even the police department and the chief had to get, um, you know, a uh, uh, therapist in there to talk to the officers that saw the carnage and the crime scene because of how, how traumatic it was. So, you know, like when I hear like these theories that it was multiple, like students or things like that, I find it difficult that there's going to be that many students who are not going to react like Hunter Johnson did in complete trauma and act like it's nothing you know what i'm saying right and so um it comes down to a a special kind of person in my opinion and i use the word special lightly but you're looking at probably somebody who doesn't have emotions somebody who struggles with those somebody who's probably trying to figure them out now i'm not saying that's brian coberger or not but he did write about things like that so i don't know yeah i understand where you're coming from and like I said, I'm not someone that thinks it's not Brian. It's mm-hmm. more of just trying to understand some of the things that happened and just kind of discussing theories of why certain things happened the way that they did. But I appreciate um, you taking our call and um, thank you for all the videos. I think you guys do a really good job. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. We appreciate everybody. And, and thank you for your comment. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. So what do you think, Jaime? Do you right, think have you have a good night? Um, All right, you too. Bye. So, yeah, you know, I, I get that the actions of of Dylan are, are suspicious, but I, I just don't see where. And 201, uh, we'll be on here in a second, if you don't mind muting the background. Um, you know, for me, I just I, I get the the concern, the suspicion, you know, behind um, Dylan Mortensen and Bethany Funk for not calling for eight hours. Yeah. I just don't see where the connection is to how you get. All right. You have these these young. You got to remember how old they are. They're young. I think they were 20, 19, 21 years old, young people um, panicking. And I don't know. I, I just don't see how them taking so long means that somebody is innocent or guilty on the other end. What do you think? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the the way that she reacted or the, the roommates reacted is some, you know, you wouldn't expect that, you know, if you, if you knew something was wrong, you were caught in, right? But not everybody acts reacts the same way. Yeah. You know, but you put yourself in that scenario, everything else kind of flies out the window, what you think you're going to do or not. Just, you don't know. Especially, like, you know, for her seeing someone didn't really um, – Raise up red flags, I guess, because they they would have people over most of the time, you know. Yeah, yeah. But maybe that was a probably a part of it too. Um, I'm sure you know, as a couple, Zana and they would have fights, and they would fight fight there, and it's probably something that a you know, it's not a, not out of the norm to hear them fight or um, argue at that around that yeah argue around that time. So like maybe they just didn't want to be a you know, sticking their nose in their business also. That's true. That could be it. But, you know, I think also there's, there's been, and, and this may have been what happened. Um, like in order to call 911, you have to dial the nine, the one, the one, then it's going to ask you about an emergency call. Right. And you have to do those type of things. You know, is it possible that, that she was just, you know, sitting there frozen and the only thing she could do is just hit maybe just one and you know hitting just one called him or called some people you know what i mean on on some sort of speed dial type of thing like a recent a recent call yeah like a recent call and and that's how it 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 got out that direction you know what i mean Mm -hmm. And, and she could have been just sitting there in frozen shock phase and you know Maybe Hunter answers the phone, like, what's going on? What's going on? And she kind of snaps out of it a little bit, you know, while he's like yelling on the phone or whatever. And then um, she's like, come over or something. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but he comes over, you know, and finds what he finds. Or maybe she doesn't say anything. And that's why he comes over. That's possible, (laughs) too. Yeah, that's possible. We we know exactly the the scenario itself to a T, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't know that they ever left or try to open any doors or any of those things. Uh, to my knowledge, that didn't happen. You know, uh, to my knowledge, as far as I know, Dylan and Bethany didn't leave uh, their room or whatever room they were in. If they were in the same room, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that either. Um, so I, I, I don't know. But uh, 201, you're on the air. What's going on? Who are we talking to? 201, you're still there? I think 201 dropped off. Let's see. We're going to have somebody else coming in. 847, you're on the air. How's it going? Good. How are you guys? Oh, my gosh. I got through. I'm so excited. Love your show. <laughs> Thank you so much. We appreciate that. You guys that. are just adorable. Yeah, honestly, you treat everybody so great and with a lot of respect. Oh, um, oh. So um, what I wanted to say is that I... I wanted to give my situation so maybe there's a better understanding of the poor girls. Um, years back, I was involved in a horrific home invasion, a horrific, mm-hmm. um, where the police didn't even believe us. Um, it was me and my fiance, and this guy walked in with a gun and a knife and, um, and a mask. And the funny part is I ran into the closet. I had my phone on me, and the last thing I thought of was to call 911. So immediately like, you better not be calling 911. It didn't even dawn on me. It didn't even dawn on me to go out the back door. 
Whereas my fiance would have gone out the back door, but he had to follow me. He couldn't leave me behind. Anyway, long story longer, he threatened our lives a thousand times. He's there over an hour. Um, and he said that if we call 911, his girlfriend's a dispatcher, and he'll know and he'll come back and kill us because he has our IDs and yada, yada, yada. And his brother just got out of jail and he's even worse. I mean, the threats were like nonstop. Um, so we never called 911. We actually called a friend. He came back three times. Um, oh, wow. checked that we weren't tied and bound. I mean, when I mean that, I mean that he is serving three life sentences. Um, but, um, point is, we never called 911. We did call a friend. We were scared out of our minds. We never went back to the house again, ever. I won't even go in that area. And this has been since, um, 2000. Mm-hmm. And, um, it took, we didn't have a court till 2004. So it took four years. So this might take a while. Oh, wow. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. Isn't that awful? So, yeah. I mean, it, it affected me so bad. So I really, really feel bad for these girls. I can't even imagine, you know, it still affects me to this day. I have radar behind my head. It's like constantly looking at everybody and never trusting anything. And what I wanted to say is at that point, the last thing on my mind is that I was involved in a home invasion. I didn't even think it was real. I thought it was one of my fiance's friends playing a practical joke on us. Mm-hmm. And he noticed a knife. When I noticed a guy, I only zoomed in on the blue eyes yeah. coming out of the mask. And I saw the gun. I never saw a knife. So that's why they didn't believe us. So their stories were conflicting. Like, how could I have not seen a knife? Easy. I just didn't. Oh, He's wow. more perceptive. And yeah, so, you know, it's funny how things work and how you think. Now I'm so much more prepared. Of course I would run out. Of course I would call 911. Of course I would do things so much different. But when it's the first time and you didn't follow true crime and you didn't think about crime and you lived a pretty safe life, you never would assume anything like this could happen to you. That's one Secondly, I'd like to say that I do believe Brian's 100% guilty because uh, I can't imagine that luck was so not on his side that he was driving in that area, that his car um, was was making those turns. And they do have video of not having a front plate, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and well, why would you return the following morning, only like, what, four hours later, stay yeah. nine minutes, and then um, go back home? So again, you were unlucky that you drove that night. Then you were unlucky that you went back to the same place and you're seen on camera and then you return back home. So uh, that none of that adds up. I mean, you can't be that unlucky in life that you were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, the guy is disturbed. Uh, I believe, you know, drugs could have affected him in life and his visual snow and a lot of things. And, you know, I hope he gets what he deserves because, this should have never happened. And me as a parent, my child is in college and I'm scared to death every day because of this case. And I'm obviously so invested because of it. Yeah. Having a child that's at college. But yeah, that's pretty much all I want to say. And that I love you guys and uh, keep doing a great job. Thank you so much. We appreciate your your call. We appreciate everything. And sorry for what you had to go through. Um, yeah. you know, I know you're stronger for, uh, through it now because of it. Yeah, you know, you just um, keep going. Oh, and then one more thing I'm sorry I wanted to add is, you know, when we saw this video of Dylan out dressed in Halloween and people are like, oh, she's over it or she isn't. Somebody could have snapped a picture of me at some point in that year 
but trust me, I, I haven't been well in years. Like, I mean, it took a very long time to even feel comfortable to go into Walmart where there's crowds of people. Cause I thought like everybody looked like this guy, you know, that's what you think all the time. Oh my God, there he is. There he is. There he is. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so just cause you snap a picture of somebody smiling and having fun, thank God they are at that moment. Thank God for one minute, maybe they could forget, but it never leaves you. Yeah. yeah. This girl's going to live the rest of her life. Yeah. yeah. Having this in the back of her head. Yeah. yeah 100%. But, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, have a good night. You Thank too. you. And I'll Thank continue you. to listen. Bye. Bye. You know, that that's one thing that, that I, I tell, you know, everyone, you know, don't judge somebody based on what you see off of social media. You know, most people aren't putting out the truth. Yeah, unless it's Casey Anthony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If it's Casey Anthony, you might want to be uh, taking quite a notice there. But yeah, you know, there's a lot of people who have done, you know, things to themselves. You know, and you go and you look at the videos and the pictures that they just had, and you would have never known that they were uh, depressed or, or any yeah, of those exactly. things. You know what I'm saying? So. Put a mask on. Yeah, one hundred percent. And they they act like everything's all right, and you know you don't know what their personal life is, or yeah. how they're dealing with it. You know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, and 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 like the caller said, you know, she was in a similar situation, and with a uh, an intruder with a weapon, and you know she she questioned it, and she saw the gun, and she questioned whether it was real or not. You know, if you have people coming in and out of that house, um, it's late at night, things like that. And this guy doesn't do anything to you. He walks right by you. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that would cause, you know, some question like, did I really see what I thought I see? Did I hear what I thought I heard? You know, why would he just walk by if he was doing something? Uh, you know, he was taking the lives of these other, you know, our other roommates. Why would he just walk by and not take hers? You know, those things probably went through her mind as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And and I just think it's it's not right, you know. To um, you know, it, it, I'm not saying that it's not right to question what she's, you know, saying or or things like that. But I don't think it's right to attack her based on what she went through without knowing all of the evidence and knowing everything that went out. I mean, we haven't even heard from herself. She's, she's not here to defend herself. She's not here to speak up for herself on why she did those things. You know, we'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, you know, we'll find out that unfortunately she's going to have to go Hello? through the whole process of through the trial, you know, and see her, what she has to say about that certain night. Yeah. We live it. Yeah. Yeah. Four, two, five. I'll get to you here in a second. Yeah, no, you're you're right. Um, and I couldn't imagine, you know, not only does she have like the survivor's guilt, you know, the guilt of everything that went on with the entire situation, but also the attacks that are going on against her. You know, mm -hmm. the the accusations, you know, you add that on top of it. Um, yeah, I just hope she don't see any of the stuff that's there, you know. It messes you. It messes you up, man. Stuff like that, you know, the mental oh, yeah. health. Yeah, one hundred percent. Four two five. You're on the air. What's going on? 
Hey, I was just calling in because, uh, you know, people have different opinions and everything and your mods like blocked people from like giving their opinions. Okay. Um, if you don't pay or whatever, um, but you're saying don't like judge people, don't do this, don't do that. But your mods are doing that. And that's all I wanted to say. All right. Well, uh, I haven't seen anything being taken down as of yet, but I'm really honestly, thank you for your call. I'm not, you know, looking into the the live chat and everything, but I'm sure, you know, if, if somebody has a difference of opinion, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you're being rude and disrespectful and stuff like that, then it's a different. Yeah, that's, that's a different story. That's a different story. I, I, I don't know what happened. Um, but I'm sure if the mods did something, um, I'm sure they did it for a reason. Uh, thank you, though. Th- thank you, though. Yeah. 310, you're on the air. What's going on? Hey, I just wanted to make a, a comment. Um, I don't know what happened, but I just wonder if the perpetrator, were, or not the perpetrator, but two of the people who are still alive were males, will we have the same conversation? You know, I mean, first, do you mind muting the background? Because I can hear the echo. Uh, oh, sorry. No, no problem. No problem. Uh, first, the if they were males, I think so. I mean, I think the question would have been there. It, it, it's going to be there. Uh, as far as do I think that if they were males, would they have been arrested? Um, based on the information that they have and the evidence they have? Probably not. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, really? Yeah, well, this is the star yeah, witness of your of who saw the person in the house. I don't think it looks good if you go and press charges on them too. No, I get that, but I was my my thing was just wouldn't we think more like, well, there's these girls in the house, and maybe one of these guys had either a thing for them or they were jealous of someone. You know, I think the police before they got to that point and named that person as a potential witness, they would have thought well, hey, you know, there's a relationship element here. Within that relationship element, it would give them more of a, just kind of like how the ex-boyfriend was kind of a suspect in the beginning. I think it would have complicated matters. And I think we wouldn't, as a community, wouldn't be as protective, in my opinion, of the two roommates. We would have a lot more questions, in my opinion. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's all right. That was just really loud in my ear. Just kidding. Uh, no, I get what you're saying. You know, the thing is, I do know that they question Jack DeCore pretty heavily. And I and I do know that um, along, not not at the same time or anything like that, but from what I've understood and heard, um, they also questioned Dylan pretty heavily uh, throughout the right. entire time and that they treated her not as a victim so to speak in the very beginning you know they okay. they, they thought it was weird too you know i think everybody yeah, did well, like I, said, I wasn't completely aware of that um yeah. so that's definitely you know good information it just like i said it just seems like i think it's i think it's fair to question and, and if they uh-huh. did question ahead of it and did their due diligence that's cool you know i i just think that um you know my question really was you know would we look at it a little differently? Um, and I think, you know, I think what you said makes sense as well. So, 
Yeah, they also turned over their phones, Dylan and Bethany, and they allowed the uh, uh, the police to forensically download their phone and go through it. So, you know, I think if there was some sort of connection between Dylan and Bethany and this killer, they would have found it on that phone. You know, yeah. they didn't they didn't live in that area for a very long time. Um, from my understanding, right. they were new to the area. So their connection to whoever is in that area committing this type of crime would have been new. And we would right. assume that they would probably be in the in the phone. Right. Yeah, that that, that makes sense, too. I, I, I one my, only have one other question, and that was just, you know, in the very beginning, they made a lot of statements. Uh, I guess it was the media. Um, different outlets were talking about how uh, Brian Koberger had a connection to them. And it was something either through uh, social media accounts or phone numbers. And I wonder if it's one way, if if he has connection to them, does that mean back that they also have a connection or does it just mean he's reaching out to them? They're not responding or was that just made up or just speculation? Um, when it comes to that aspect, I, I have no idea, you know, but right. the one thing I do know is when I talked to Christy, uh, she said that they had gotten information. Uh, or Brian Koberger's name before his arrest and before everybody found right. out that he was going to be arrested and that they went to, oh. through his social media and found that he was following certain, uh, I think he was following Maddie on all three of the social medias that they found under his name. Um, they, they also found that he was following most of, uh, I think Kaylee's. And then there was one, there was two following Kaylee's, three following Maddie's, and one following Xana's, none of them following Ethan. And I think on one or two of them, there were Koberger family members following him and them following each other, basically. So oh. I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's real or not. You know, one thing that yeah. is plausible, like, you know, somebody told the Gonsalveses before his arrest. So people knew ahead of time, maybe perhaps it got, you know, it spread to somebody who uh, decided to troll. I don't know, but okay. but I, I do think that it is unlikely and that it possibly is his. It doesn't fit the M.O., in my opinion, if he did do that, as far as what I think he did this crime or, or what I see. Um, but, you know, he's he's not perfect, so he may have made more mistakes than we know. OK, copy that. Well, that's all I wanted to say, but, uh, you know, I uh, appreciate, you know, just the information that you guys uh, gather and, and we we're all trying to just figure out what happened. So, uh, yeah, uh, thanks. No problem. Thank you. We appreciate you. That was a great call. Thank you. Like, likewise. Bye. Bye. So what do you think, Jaime? I don't know. Even when it comes down to the social media stuff, um, I think, I mean, it could possibly even be um, the search. Right. Know? You can be, be searching. You don't have to follow someone, you know, to search for them and just check out their pictures, either on Facebook or on, on Instagram, on Twitter, yeah. right? Um, I know Twitter, you have to have an account, though, right? Yeah. But on the, on the other ones, I mean, obviously you have to have an account, too, but, like, to search for, let's, let's say uh, we're not friends and I search for you, that, that search is going to still be on my phone. Yeah. If they they look back, they'll you can see the search history, right. and maybe that's not the condition that you know. Maybe maybe he was following them, and you know maybe 
also by having the family following that certain specific um, profile, obviously uh, validates that it's his his profile, you know? Yeah. I think the timing is going to be the key mm-hmm. issue is when did he start following them? Was it yeah, bef- if, before the murders or not? Yeah, if it was close enough after, then they might just be, you know, trying to read up on it or yeah. Like everybody Yeah. Yeah, everybody was searching that and stuff. Um one hundred percent before before that, then it's kind of like, oh, oh, what is this about? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh two one oh, you're on the air. What's going on? Hey, Daniel. Hey, Jaime. Um, this micro here. Uh, um, so I used to work, I just wanted to add a piece of like, I just wanted to add my experience in like metadata and cell phone. I used to train tech support agents for Verizon for several years. And I was on the phones for long enough to steal my soul, but, uh, you know, one of the tools that we used, you could remote view someone's phone if it's acting up. Usually it's older people that don't realize they have allowed all permissions on every app. Um, and they're not like Brian's probably the opposite. Like he's young. He worked and I don't know, he wanted to work in that field of digital forensics or whatever, but mm-hmm. On his phone, I'm going to guess that a lot of the um, search warrants for his, like, for Meta, for all of his social media accounts are going to show, because we can see location is on Mm -hmm. as one of the permissions for apps. And a lot of people have them on. Like, he had that one app, Strava, on for his running, and that could tell the whole world where he was running or whatever. So, yeah. I mean, uh, Facebook knows your location because it's like, which one of your friends are close by kind of thing, you know, um, Instagram owns Facebook or whatever the same. And, um, I'm going to guess that in that, in those search warrants, they found his location being so close through his apps oh, more yeah. than even, you know, even the pinging, um, and a lot of people get the pinging thing wrong because they can specifically get him close. And I know they say there's this tower only, you know, serving that area, like one tower or whatever, that mm-hmm. still, you can still like get by feet to that location, um, with the pings. Um, like when you call 911, right? Mm-hmm. Your phone, your phone ha- can get pinged. That's why you always see, like in the movies, they always break the phones in half, the burners or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can be found that way. You know, yeah. it's not impossible. He was, um, you know, I don't think he was over at the corner club when the girls were on camera. I don't think he was at the grub truck. His phone was picked up still in Pullman at that time. Mm-hmm. He was, you know. <laughs> again like that whole like he is the most unlucky guy on the planet if he's not the one but um i just i just think that we have to remember like i said in my super chat that there's terabytes terabytes yeah. of evidence that was handed to to um 
defense. And that means that more than likely that's video, that's camera footage. And I'm going to guess a lot of the ring doorbells in the area. I'm going to guess the one that's facing the back of the house, the one that he passed the most, like not Linda Lane, but the other one. Mm -hmm. I just think that, you know, the PCA is the bare minimum just to get that arrest. And then they hold the rest. Like you got to think the smoking gun and Alex Murdoch case. They saved that one. They saved that one. They had that one cocked and ready to go. And they're going to have the same kind of thing here with death penalty cases. They don't play lightly with those. They have enough. And I, I just, you know, they had their guy, but I, I'm so, I trust law enforcement. A lot of people don't. I do more than I don't. Mm-hmm. So, but that's all I got. Thank you guys. Well, thank you, Kimmy. And thank you for, for being supporting on the show and, and always being here. We appreciate you. Heck yeah. All right. Have yeah. a good one. You too. You, you too. too. So, so what do you, what are your, what are your thoughts on that, Jaime? And four eight zero, give us a second. We'll bring you on in a minute. What are your thoughts, Jaime, yeah. on what she said? Well, when it comes down, you know what she said about the nine one one, yeah, um, aspect of the uh, location. I was watching this um, YouTube channel. Um, might not want to. I probably won't. I shouldn't um, say it by name because you got in trouble for some stuff. But um, this guy, he dives and looks for. Um, you know, uh, I know uh, what you're talking about. You know how I'm talking about, right? But he dives and looks for cars or missing people, right? Right, recovered. And uh, yeah, recovery to recover the uh, vehicles and, and you know people that have been missing. And I remember he called nine one one. He didn't know where he was at, and he asked if he can they could just track his or pin his um, cell phone. Yeah. And this dude was like literally like underneath the bridge or next to the river. He's and the 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 nine one one. Person was like, "Oh, you're underneath the bridge, right next to the river." He's like, "Yeah, like damn, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> that's pretty damn accurate and fast." Yeah, yeah. I mean, technology has come a long way from what we know from back in the days, or what we can remember from movies. You know, movies add a dramatic element, right? You know, the car doesn't always turn on. You know, the 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 phone is out of service. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Those type of things. So. Uh, those things typically don't happen in in real life. You know what I mean? Um, four eight zero, you're on the air. What's going on? Hi. Um, you know, I just want to talk about the girl's reaction. Uh, I'm in my mid forties, but when I was seventeen, I had a boyfriend. Um, and when I started dating him, I did not know that he had been in juvie for uh, a violent crime. He didn't appear to look like you know he was that way. Anyways, uh, I I found out that he was. He didn't cause any harm to me. But anyways. Uh, he, uh, and his mother and his siblings were, uh, physically abused by the father. So I'm just putting that back there. And sometimes growing up, kids can have different reactions and a lot of anger came out. So one evening, uh, certain things happened. There was a young man when we were 17, uh, that were trying to flirt with me and my friends. They didn't know he was in the car next to me. I knew his friend who had, was an ever- I felt like was just kind of cute with him because he wanted to look like he was that tough. But his mm-hmm. parents got him a gun for his birthday that year. And I knew the gun was in the car. Anyway, one thing is another. My boyfriend shoots this guy in front of us. Okay. Oh, wow. And it, it I, I, I mean, like feet. And in the way that it was in the middle of the night, when he took off the, the, the victim, 
and then uh-huh. my boyfriend took off following him and I took off following him and we made a left, a left, a left and there were cops parked right there and the guy gets out and I can still to this day see the white shirt and just blood just on, on the left. But point being is there was a trial and all this stuff that had to go on. I had two trials. They were, they were, uh, we had two separate trials. Uh-huh. I didn't show any traumatic fear, any major things like that initially. And what happened was, I want to say mid thirties, 30 years old, maybe I, I was watching the news and this person was being interviewed about a crime they witnessed and something in their eyes triggered that fear in me. And just, it came back out of nowhere. So my point is this, like, yeah, you can react very differently. Mm-hmm. And so how is it, you know, that I got there? It wasn't that I didn't care. It's not that I didn't think what he did was wrong or that I agreed that that guy deserved it or that I was just, you know, had no soul and no, it's not as dramatic as what they went through, but it's close enough. And I, it didn't hit me until then. And it was the weirdest way that it triggered those fears. So I just want people to understand that. I know yeah. I even mean like you girl, eight hours, maybe they were fucked up, you know, doing some, you know, partying. She fell asleep. I don't know. And she might not, she may, you, your mind is might shut down just to protect you. And right. maybe, maybe not. We don't know. But one thing is you wouldn't know, you wouldn't have been on a 17. You wouldn't have known what I was going through unless yeah. you were close enough to me. And it, and I ended up, what I did was, so I was able to watch movies. You know what I mean? Like I love action movies. Man, I suppose that was right. You know, mm-hmm. transporter, all this stuff. Right. <laughs> blah, blah. Oh, for a while, I couldn't watch those after. Mind you, I had been watching them the whole time. Yeah. So I got a block on my ribcage. You can't see it. And I did exposure therapy. So when I took a shower, I would see it. It, it became just a, a thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it, and it helped me internally. And I did do some counseling. But no, not everybody reacts the same. And I do think my reaction was kind of looked back like, wow, how did it not hit me until then? Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to put that out there. Well, thank so you. That's so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we we okay, appreciate guys, so. that. Yeah. 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 So just just think about that. We don't know. They might not. They might. It's not. English might not react immediately. And some people will, like you said, the cops throwing up. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. We don't. We don't know. Okay. So just keep that in mind, peeps. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. Thank you so much. We appreciate your. Um, your point of view on this, you know, yourself and, and our caller earlier, you know, given a perspective uh, of somebody who's been in a um, a really traumatic situation in, in which mm-hmm. where they acted probably uh, something where I guess most people would have thought differently. You know what I mean? Yeah. And look, yeah. I was in love with this guy. Right. And let me tell you, thank God my friend stopped me. My initial one guy, I want to get out of the car to go to him. When we all three parked and the guy gets out covered in blood, she stopped me. I went out to go to him. Now, he wouldn't have hurt me. Well, what the fuck would that have done to me? You yeah. know, legally. So yeah. you don't, why would I, why, why would you do that? That was stupid. But, crazy. yeah, it's very, very true. You really don't know. Yeah. All right, guys, that's what I just wanted to say, and I, I appreciate your show, and I love it, and thanks for taking my call. 
No problem. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Good night. Uh, good night. Uh, you I think when it comes... I removed her. <laughs> nah, uh, she, she had already left. When it comes down to it, like, you know, like the suppressed memories kind of come back and they get you years, months, days, it could be. But a lot of people have these suppressed memories that they, that they get later on in life and then they, they start having depression and, you know, mental problems, mental health problems. So, yeah. And like PTSD too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the triggers can come and go and, and you may not have one right away, like she mentioned. And then all of a sudden, just one day, it just comes back. Uh, also, in, in, in this case, too, like, we don't know what she saw, you know, what. Uh, yeah. Um, Beth, Bethany? And, Bethany uh, and Dylan. Bethany and Dylan, we don't know what they actually saw. So it could have been easier for them. I'm not saying that it would be, but it could have been easier for them to, you know, try to, like, a year later, be a, a lot better than they were. Um, couple of days or months after the, right. the crime yeah 100 100 um 606 you're on the air what's going on yes i'm calling in to say i think there's more than one person that's committed this crime okay what's Why? your opinion i i personally don't think more than one person did it just because um you know, where's that person at? Like they have Brian Koberger's phone. They've forensically gone through it. Um, they would have, you know, known who he's come in contact with. He wasn't there very long. You know what I mean? Um, right. And if it was like other people, um, also the, the aspect of the no DNA thing. So there's only Brian Koberger's DNA there. So if other people were there, they the likelihood of them not leaving some DNA behind is, is pretty unlikely. You know what I mean? So well, what what bothers me is when he said, "Who else is arrested?" You know, I, I honestly thought that that he was. Re I, I think he's referring to his father because his father really? flew. Yeah, his father flew over there and then drove with him back. And right, you know, if. It's kind of like the Gabby Petito case right now, right? Where um, mm -hmm. her parents uh, or, or Brian Laundrie's parents may have known ahead of time or earlier, right? Like, yes, I agree. And and so if if Brian Koberger's dad knew ahead of time and flew out there and was helping him, you know, leave that area, then they could have arrested him for for assisting in the crime. So I think that's yep. what his concern was. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Well, thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Thank you for calling in. We appreciate you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Yeah, I think the same thing. I think the fact that, you know, if there's more people involved, the risk of leaning cut, it would be a lot greater. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, 770, I'll get with you in a second. Just Ann Ogie comes in with a Merry Christmas, Rogie member for eight months. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. Hey, Rogan's Rogie, little Rogie's getting big. She is in the one hundred and like fourth percentile in things. Like um, she just hit her seven month birthday, and she is as long as a as an eleven and a half month old. <laughs> she's gonna be huge. She's gonna she's gonna be my little basketball player. 
<laughs> she might be taller than me. We'll see. Uh, but thank you for that. Uh, we appreciate that. So seven seven zero. What's going on? How you doing? Hey, I'm great. How are you guys? Doing well. Doing well. Enjoying the show. What's going on? Me too. This is the first time I've ever called into a live, so um, it's it's interesting, and I'm glad you was able to talk to y'all. Um, so I've been watching your show for a while, been following this case, and something that I was thinking about or was interested in is had or and get your thoughts on, you know, a long time ago, way back when, and and even still coming up, you know, recently, scent dogs that whenever a child would go missing, they would use these dogs to try to find a child or try to find a person or try to find remains. Mm-hmm. Did the Idaho police ever think of trying to use dogs to possibly find the knife, the bloody clothes, any kind of scent of any of the four victims of Brian Koberger, um, just along the route that they believe that he took home to get back to Washington? I mean, it's possible. I, I think they would have had to have some sort of inclination of a of a specific area on where to look for, you know, because he he was driving for like an hour and something. So that's a long stretch of road where he could have gone somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. So I think they would have had to have kind of maybe been more specific as to where his location would have been. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they did try to do something like that. Uh, but then again. When did they get on to Brian Koberger? They didn't. They didn't know who he was until December nineteenth. The mm-hmm. uh, yeah the the phone uh, pings didn't come back until the twenty third of December, I believe, and that's when they got his locations. So even if that point, that's six, what six weeks later. Um, I'm not sure if there's going to be anything that they're going to be able to find at that point outside of the immediate like right above where if he, if he buried it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was just my only thought was, I don't know. I don't, I don't know enough information about exactly how long scents can carry and dogs can find people or, you know, find remains. I I do know there was an article that was written about in 2020 that there was some dogs that were able to find mass um, graves of people um, over in like Croatia that was like oh, wow. mass executions um, and they were able to find these mass graves. So I just, again, I don't know enough information on exactly what they can do with it. It was just a thought that, that it's never been talked about. It was never brought up and just something that I was thinking about and wanted to, to run by you guys. And so I'm glad I got to talk to you. Well, we're glad you made it through. Thank you so much. Yeah. You guys have a good one. You too. Bye. So, so, so what are you thinking, Hyman? I think the best bet would be, you know, getting his phone pings from farther down the year, you know, earlier down the year, and then pinpoint an area where he would might have stopped. Yeah. Uh, currently, and then search that area, maybe. But when it comes down from the the, the house itself, I mean, even the, even if they use a dog, they'll probably just stop at the, you know, at the. Where you got in the car? Yeah. Yeah, but I think that that'll be the best bet going through her uh, ping history and then just going through the same route and see what where he stopped the most and search those areas. 
Yeah. Could have been the stash, the stashes in one of those um, stops. Yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking too. You know, because well, let's let's think about this. He was there right after the the incident. Let's just assume that they got the right guy right. So he's leaving at 420, 421. He's seen on Walenta Drive heading at a high rate of speed. He's then seen, um, or his phone turns on at 448. So that's what, like 28 minutes of unaccounted time. And it should have only taken him like maybe maybe 10. I mean, that's, that's really ex- exaggerating, probably closer to five to have gotten there. So we're looking at probably like good 20 minutes of un unaccounted time yeah and And there was a time yeah and then we know that he went to that area the next day right Mm -hmm. so if he's in the area the next day uh, and he turns his phone off that day uh for a few hours while he's out there i want to say at least three or four hours while he's out in the middle of nowhere i would assume if he did commit this crime that he's probably going back to pick up you know, the evidence and maybe move it to its final final location. What do you think? Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, if he was, let's just say he was infatuated with these kind of um, crimes, especially with, you know, BTK, you would think he would, you know, try to hold on to that evidence as like a, like a trophy almost, you know, yeah. to, to, to bring him back to that, that moment. Yeah. Um, I think. He was stashed, um, and like how you said, you stash it and then maybe move it later on. Yeah, I mean so that's that's the only thing. Be- <laughs> we're, we're talking over each other. Yeah, I, I think so too. You know, um, do you think he? How many times do you think he went back? Within the month. Yeah, yeah, to where he left the the evidence, and do you think he may have taken it with him uh, on the uh, on his trip to the Pocono somewhere and dropped it off in some random ass place? Who knows, man? I think I think what he did, you know, because obviously using a knife, it's gonna leave a lot of you know blood on it. Yeah, I'm sure. I want to know if any of the victims had you know cleaning marks. You know how they you clean? Oh yeah, maybe. Part of the their clothes has something like that and clean it off. That way he didn't get anything or almost nothing in his car, you know. After yeah. that, put it in the bag or with his clothes or whatever shirt, whatever in the in the bag in the trunk, and then moved it out on that route where he took on the way back to you know to his house or his apartment. Yeah, yeah, that's very much so. Micro Kimmy comes in with another nine ninety nine super chat. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Uh, it says in the search warrant, it specif- specifies all cell phone activity within uh, half a mile of the King Road residence. That's how things will currently work. Towers now 5G, 4G LTE, at least 3G technology is no more. Or 3G technology is no more. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, that was just the first time, right? That was the first time that they. They pulled the warrant to get all of the phones that connected to that tower. You know, after they got Brian Koberger's name, I'm sure that they expanded that search, you know, to more than just a you know, half mile. It's probably, I don't know, maybe 10 miles, 15 miles, something like that, if it 
can go that far. But I, I would expect that they would have probably expanded the search of the cell phone towers that far. And you would have probably gotten Brian Covert's phone turning off at 248. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Um, and we don't got no more calls coming in. Um, we're going to close down the calls, but we're going to go through some of these comments real quick before we call it a show. I want to make sure I got everybody else that commented and stuff like that. Uh, I want to thank everybody that's joined. It's been an awesome show so far. Yeah, thank you, mods, subs, members. Big Blue, even though he's not here. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's Blue doing? I think he's getting that rash looked at, right? The the rash he had on his inner thigh. Yeah, it spread to his yep. outer thigh. His inner inner thigh. <laughs> uh, yeah, now nah, Blue's doing good. He's uh I think he's um he has he's out of town. Yeah, he's out of town and he has uh he's going through college still, which is why he's uh going through spring breaks. He's just going yeah. for to college for the spring break. Um, but he has he has some finals uh, that he's taken. Paying tuition to go to school. Yeah. Uh, have we heard about when the Christy G interview, uh, Christy Gonzalez interview might happen? I haven't. I'm going to talk to her. To, probably, I'm going to give her a call tomorrow. Um, last time I talked to her, uh, it, it's it was around Thanksgiving ish, maybe a little bit afterwards, and yeah, it's it appeared to me that they were taking things a little hard, so I don't want to push anything. You know what I mean? Um, I'll I'll be right back. All right. And he'll be back. I hope he muted himself on the on the on the Skype. Uh, Let's see. Yes, 100 percent. We'll definitely be doing that. I'll give her a call tomorrow. There are some questions um, that I have that I need to get answered um, that some of you guys have brought up here, too. And I've seen in the comment section before that I, I want to get a specific answer on. And one of them is, um, you know, how much of Kaylee's stuff had been moved out? You know, was her bed still there? Was she still planning on going back? I, I know that she said she was going back because she had finals and she also had some tests that she had to do. And so she had told me she wasn't done moving out, but I'll ask her a little bit more specific about how much had been moved out. And uh, to my knowledge, she was excited to go back to show Maddie uh, the, the Range Rover. Um, that's what she told me last time. Uh, since I've talked to her, I've heard this, you know, people saying that, uh, she didn't want to go to some party. I, I'm going to ask her if she knows about that. I don't even know if she's aware of that, um, to be honest with you, but I'll, I'll, I'll ask her that. Uh, let's see. I bet everyone in their grandma tries to get an interview with her and Steve just want justice. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They really do. And I, I just want to make sure that, you know, when I talk to them, uh, I keep it. I know they're going through a hard time, so I don't want to try to make it any harder. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I when they have questions or they need to get something out, she, she reaches out. They're, they're good people. They really are. Yeah. Um. But with that said, I think we're going to be calling it a show, man. Um, you got any final words? Um, everybody. Yeah, thank you, everybody. We appreciate y'all. Um, we're going to be back on Wednesday. We're going to have Ashton Forbes 
on the show. He's the uh, gentleman that um, has been talking about these three orbs that may have abducted the M three seventy airplane that went missing back in twenty fourteen. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be a great conversation on Wednesday, and then Friday we're going to be doing another Turkey Talk Live. Uh, not so much. Yeah, anything goes. Um, not so much uh, of the Koberger stuff. Like, you know, I think we're going to put out a topic. Like, for instance, um, you know, if you've ever, this is probably what it's going to be. If you've ever done something in secret and you've gotten away with it, we want to hear it. We want to know what you did. Well, you're not going to give up who you are or where you did it, but we want to know what you did. And if you want to get it off your chest and just come out and say, hey, you know, this one time, you know, my neighbor um, did something. So I, I'm the one that dropped the, uh, you know, a bag of dog duty with on fire in their, <laughs> at their doorknob or something. Let us know. We want to know what you've done and gotten away with and how you did it. How'd you get away with it? Uh, nothing crazy. We want to hear about, you know, somebody taking somebody's life or anything like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> just, you're calling the wrong, the wrong podcast. Yeah, you're calling the wrong podcast. You call on Monday nights. Um, yeah. <laughs> but with 